Take your Bibles. That's always a good place to start in the Bible. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 18. I, I'm probably going to cause some of you a little bit of stress right now, a little bit of anxiety. You have nine shopping days left. Got it? You're welcome. I was just trying to get your heart right before I start preaching this morning. You know, I, I'm not much of a shopper. I'm really not. I'm, I'm one of these guys, I pretty well know what I'm going to get before I ever go. So I, I do the five-minute turnaround thing. If I can be in and out in five minutes, I consider it success. If it takes me six minutes, then I've had a bad day. But I tell you what I do like. I don't like to shop, but I'm a people watcher. I love to watch people. And in recent years, I, I've gotten more, um, more into watching people in parking lots. It is so much fun. We've kind of developed this little family tradition for ourselves. Every Thanksgiving after dinner, we'll ride up to the mountains and we'll go Black Friday shopping. Well, if you've never been up there during Black Friday, it is absolute chaos. I mean, it is crazy. People, I saw a 90-year-old woman run over five people in the parking lot this year. I mean, she was determined to get some of those $10 bags. But um, I like to go and I'll sit outside so... Uh, Angel and Graham, they'll go in the stores, and Graham has a minor addiction, just so y'all know this. Uh, he likes to buy stuff. So they'll go in the stores, and Brady and I will typically go sit out, and we'll just watch people go by and watch people in the parking lot. Well, this year, it was particularly crazy. Um, the parking lot was full. There was no place to park, and you would, you would see cars just kind of going back and forth, up and down, up and down, looking for a, a space to park. And the, this one guy caught my attention in particular because he saw a lady coming out, I believe it was the Gap store, coming out of the Gap store, headed toward her car. And, man, she is loaded down with bags. She's just got bag after bag after bag. And she's headed toward her car, and this guy gets in behind her, and he starts following her. It's almost like he's stalking her in the parking lot. It was kind of scary, really. He's just easing along behind her and, and watching to see where she goes. Well, she gets to her car, and she lifts the tailgate on the car, and the guy turns his blinker on. And you know what that is. That is, do not get this parking spot, anybody else, or I will beat you up right here in the parking lot. So he's sitting there, and he's waiting. Well, this lady puts all her bags in the car, and, and she arranges them, actually. She doesn't just toss them in. I'm a tosser. She just sets them in there nice and late. And I, I'm watching her. And she reaches up, and she closes her tailgate, and she turns around and starts back to the store. <laughs> yeah. I want to tell you guys. This guy was religious, because I, I think I heard him speaking in tongues at that point, and he was definitely using sign language. And he just goes on down the parking lot. So, you know, you know, we get wrapped up in all that, don't we, at Christmas. It, it's kind of a thing. We, we want to we participate in that. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's a great story about a little boy who wanted a bicycle for Christmas, and he starts telling his mom and dad about it, and his, his mom finally says, look, son, here's what you need to do. You need to talk to God about that. Why don't you go write God a letter? and tell him about the bicycle you're wanting. So little boy goes, and he gets his pen and paper out, and he sits down. He says, you know, i got to make this good. So he starts writing. He says, dear God, I have been really good for the past three months. And he pauses. And he says, this is God. He knows. Scratches out three months. So he says, dear God, I've been really good for the past three weeks. Nope, it's not going to fly either. Dear God, I've been good for about ten minutes. <laughs> well, so he looks over, and he sees the nativity scene sitting there, and he gets up, and he walks over to the nativity scene, and he picks up Mary out of the nativity scene, walks back to his desk. He says, Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again, I want my bike. <laughs> it's, it's fun, isn't it? It's fun. It's fun to get presents, to give presents. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the greatest presence of all, present of all. 
It's a present that God gave you and I. In the book of Matthew, chapter number 1, beginning at verse number 18, the Bible says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was in this manner. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with a child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her uh, a public example, was minded to divorce her privately. Joseph had some questions, didn't he? But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, the name Jesus literally means Savior. So you shall call him Savior. But look at verse number 22. It says, Now when all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, the name Emmanuel has its roots all the way back in the book of Isaiah. Pastor Gary talked a little bit about that last week. Matter of fact, I thought he was about to preach my sermon last week, and I was about to say, hey, stop, stop, stop. I need something to say next week. But it has its roots all the way back in Isaiah chapter number 7. Ahaz is the king of Israel, and Ahaz is a very wicked man. There's no doubt. This guy has gone completely off the rails. He's taken Israel with him. And God is really appealing to him. He's, He's trying to get him to come back. And he goes to Ahaz and he, he says this, Ahaz, I will give you an opportunity to ask anything you like, uh, anything from the heights above or the depths below. So he just kind of opens up the door to Ahaz and kind of says, look, whatever you want, you ask me for it. If you want a, well, I'm not even going to say that, but he, he, just, he just made an open-ended promise. And let me tell you what Ahaz does. He refuses. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't care anything about that. So here's what God says in Isaiah chapter number 7, verse number 13. He says, hear me, house of David. Does, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Would you even now try the patience of God? And then God says this, behold, I will give you a sign. Now, in the English language, a sign is singular. So we're looking for one sign. But in the original Hebrew, it's a plural word. And then he follows that that plural word, the signs, with this statement. He says, a virgin shall conceive, that's sign number one, and she shall bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. That's promise number two. Here is a promise that God has given not only a nation, but he has given a promise to all of humanity. It's that a Savior is going to come, he's going to walk among men, and he's going to be with his followers for always, forever. Now, let me tell you about that promise. It laid on the table of history for about 700 years. And what happened in the nation of Israel was that every child that was born, the mother would think that, hey, maybe this is the Savior. Maybe this is the Emmanuel, the one that God has promised us. So they would, they would kind of have these little tests to see if this child uh, fit the criteria for being that, that, that Savior that all had been looking for. Until finally, one day, up in heaven, the only begotten Son of the Father took off his royal robe He laid down that diadem, soared past the sun, maneuvered around the moon, and came to find a place in a little stable outside the town of Bethlehem to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Have you ever begun to contemplate what that means? 
Here is a baby, the Son of God, God himself, God incarnate, God in the flesh. And the first sounds that he hears in those infant ears here on earth is the sounds of livestock. The first smells that he experiences is probably a dirty stable. The first feelings on that, that tender baby's skin was probably the straw that was poking him in the manger that he was laid in. Here he is, God with us. God who came down from heaven to be with humanity. And he's in the old raggedy stable in a barn. You know, when you begin to try to wrap your mind around that, it's almost hard to contemplate, it, isn't it? That the great God of this universe would come and be born as a baby. We're not the only ones who have difficulty uh, understanding that. I, I've thought a lot about it. I, I've tried to get it in my head what that means, that God himself would come down. Paul said this, great is the mystery of godliness, that God would manifest himself in the flesh. The apostle Paul, who we think knows everything, himself couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that the, God, the great God of this universe was able to confine himself to a single cell to be born from a virgin's womb. You know, it's a fascinating thing when you begin to consider how that Paul said, you know, this is kind of like God's birthday, isn't it? That God was manifest in the flesh. Now, when I say that, I don't want anybody to make the mistake of thinking that I'm saying that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that that was the beginning of God, because we know that wasn't the beginning of God. We know that before there was a star in the socket or a sun in space or a planet in orbit, there was God. It was God who stepped out from behind the curtain of nowhere onto the platform of nothing and hung everything where nothing had once been. That was God himself that did that. So it's not like God began on that day, but it's that God was able to bring himself down to humanity on that day. The big God. The God who has the whole world in his hands. You know, I, I was sitting one day and I was thinking about how amazing that is that God is able to do that and trying to figure out what exactly that means to me and how it relates to me in my life. And, and I couldn't get past the fact that here is God who oversees all, who holds all things together, but yet he's able to come and, and take a form of something or someone that I could understand, that I can relate with and who can relate with me. And I'm sitting there in my office and I, I'm just trying to, Trying to get that in my head. And sometimes I'm going to tell you guys, getting something in this head is really tough anyway. It's pretty thick and hard. But I'm looking in my office, and all of a sudden, it's like God just spoke. And there was a ray of sunshine that was hitting on my floor out in front of my desk. So I, I kind of look over toward my windows, and I can see I have the blinds closed. But you know the little holes around the strings on the blinds? You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm looking, and there's a ray of sunshine that's coming right through one of those holes, and it's almost making a pinpoint place of light on the floor. And it occurs to me, isn't that remarkable? The sun, which is millions of times larger than me, billions of times larger than me, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's big, is able to confine itself to a place on my floor, a pinpoint place, and illuminate my whole office. Isn't that kind of the way God works? This great big God, the God who sits up on the throne over all, the sovereign God of this universe, is able to come and pinpoint his presence in our lives through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Man, that is good stuff when you begin to think about it. It's a, it's a mysterious thing. I still don't fully understand it. But let me tell you something. If I have a God that I can fully understand, I probably need a new God because my God ain't big enough. I don't understand a lot of things about God. But what I do understand is that he cared enough about me and he cares enough about you that he gave us that Christmas present. He gave us his presence through that present. He came to dwell among men. It's very mysterious, but listen, it's also very miraculous when you begin to think about it. You see, there should be no mistake that this baby born in Bethlehem was truly God. I know there are people out there today who will say, you know what, Jesus is a good man. You know, you've heard people say that, right? Jesus is a good man. Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was an amazing prophet. Jesus, what an awesome martyr he made. And he died for a cause, right? Well, I want to tell you, all those things are true. Jesus was a good man. Jesus was an amazing prophet. Jesus is uh, an incredible martyr for us to look at. But let me tell you something else. Jesus is God. He's not just those things. He's all of those things because he is God too. If you have any doubts about it, just think about what Jesus said. In John chapter number 10, verse number 30, he says this, I and the Father are one. We're together. Philip asked him in John 14, he said, Jesus, can you show us the Father? And this is what Jesus said. He said, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. Over the book of Revelation, there's an interesting, uh, interesting event that takes place. John is up in heaven. God has given John a vision of what heaven's going to be like. And all of a sudden, John hears this voice behind him, and he turns around, and it's an angel. And the Bible says that John fell down at the feet of that angel, began to worship that angel. And I'm just going to paraphrase here. Here's what the angel said to John. The angel looked at John and said, John, get on your feet, man. You don't worship me. You worship God and God alone. Now think about this. I want you to wrap your mind around this. One time Jesus told his disciples, he said, you shall worship the Lord thy God, and him only will you serve. Now put those two together, right? The angel says, worship God only. Jesus says, worship God only. Did you know that when Jesus walked on the water, the Bible teaches us that when Jesus got off the boat, the disciples fell down at his feet and began to worship him? All right, remember? Remember what the angel said? Remember what Jesus said? You worship God and worship him alone. When the disciples fell down and worshiped Jesus, he didn't rebuke them. He didn't tell them to get on their feet. He didn't tell them that their worship was misplaced. You know what he did? He accepted that worship, and I'll tell you why. Because he is God. Jesus. There can be no doubt about it. This baby who was born in Bethlehem is truly the Son of God. Let me throw some numbers at you real quick. This is how about 75% of the conversations in my house start, and I'm usually not the one asking this question. I'm on the receiving end of it. But did you know, my kids are a lot smarter than me, by the way. They know a lot of things I don't know. I never let on, though. I always know it. But did you know that there are over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the life of Jesus? Over 400. And they cover every aspect of his life. They tell us what tribe he's going to be born in. They tell us what family he's going to be born in, the family of David, the tribe of Judah, the family of David. They tell us the city that he's going to be born in, the town of Bethlehem. The prophecies cover, <coughs> excuse me, they cover every aspect of his being. The prophecies tell us about the slaughter of the innocent children under the rule of Herod. They tell us about his family escaping down into Egypt, about the fact that he's going to be raised in Nazareth. The prophecies tell us that he's going to heal the sick, 
He's going to be betrayed by a friend. The prophecies tell us he's going to be spit upon, that he's going to be unjustly convicted, that he's going to be crucified. The prophecies tell us every aspect. Have you ever read Psalm 22? It's an amazing chapter in the Bible. Psalm 22 is a psalm of David. And when you read that psalm, it's almost as if he is standing beneath the cross and he is looking at the things that are taking place there. He says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed and my heart is like wax that's melting within me. The psalm even begins with this. My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? All of that, every aspect of it, every little prophecy, Jesus fulfilled in the most minute of details. Do you know what the odds of that happening are? Somebody's actually calculated this out. One to ten to the 17th power. Anybody in here tell me what ten to the 17th power is? I'd like to know. (laughs) 10 to the 17th power. Let, let me put it in more real terms for you. you. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Texas. Texas is a big state, big place. It takes a long time to even drive across the state of Texas, a couple of days. Let's say if you took the state of Texas and you covered it two feet thick in quarters, you took one quarter out of that whole stack of quarters all the way across the state and you marked it with, say, a red pen, you threw it out in the middle of the state somewhere, don't know where it's going to land, you don't watch it, and then you go find a person, you blindfold that person, you carry them up in an airplane, you put a parachute on them, and let them jump out over the state of Texas at any random time that they choose to. They land somewhere in the state, they bend over, and they pick up that one quarter that you marked. That is 10 to the 17th power. Could there be any doubt that Jesus truly is the Son of God? That he is God's gift from heaven for you and I. Let me, let me ask you, do you know why we don't pray to Mary? Do you know why we don't confess to a priest? Or why we don't trust in Muhammad? Because, ladies and gentlemen, there is but one begotten of the Father. There is but one mediator between us and God. There is but one way, truth, and life. He is the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bride and morning star. He is Jesus who was born in the city of Bethlehem. God's son, Emmanuel, God with us. There's something marvelous about that name, too, when you begin to think about it. You know, the Bible teaches us that God is for us, right? You understand that. When I was a kid, I may have told you guys this at some point. I I don't remember. But when I was a kid, and I hope some of you are old enough to remember this, we would have a little crush on somebody, and we'd go pick a flower and do the he loves or she loves me, she loves me not, she loves me, she loves me not. Well, look, I figured this out. I really did. You go and you get a three-leaf clover, and you start with she loves me. (laughs) And you always win. She loves me. She loves me. No, she loves me. What do you know? You know, I rigged it so I would win. But I want to tell you, in, in, in God, there's no need to rig because truly he does love you. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3 and 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Over in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. For Christ once suffered the just for the unjust. That means he died for my sins. Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore no condemnation 
to those who are in Christ Jesus. I know there are people sitting in here this morning who are just being beat up by life. You're being dragged around, hurting. Well, I want to tell you, you don't have to live that way. There, there are better options out there, and the best option is the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved you enough that he gave his life so that you could have freedom and you could have forgiveness. I preached a funeral yesterday, and I, I talked about the fact in the funeral that we shouldn't be amazed when lost people act like lost people because that's what they are. That's their nature. And, and a lot of times they don't have a lot of say in what they do because their nature takes over. But that nature can be broken. And it can be broken by coming into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the fact of the matter is you can read all the books you want to that give you 12 steps to healthy living. But unless your nature's different, you're going to fall short. And the only way to really overcome life and not be overcome by life is to come to Christ and have him to wipe away that guilt, take, take care of your fear, to give you that assurance of knowing that your sins are forgiven and that when you leave this world that there's a better place waiting on you. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus, you need to come to know him before this service is over. God wants you to come into that relationship with him through Emmanuel, God with you. But not only that, not only is God for us, that we know he's for us, we do also know that he is always with us. Because of that name, that name is very significant. The fact that God said, look, this is going to be a sign that he's going to come and he's going to be with you. Well, Tony, why is that important to me? And I want you to listen to me very carefully. And I, I know I'm speaking to some people here this morning, a select group of people. Sometimes this time of year can be one of the hardest times of year. It can be the most challenging time of year to live through. You see, I understand that while we're singing and others are singing and people are laughing and having a good time and going to parties and gathering with friends and families, there are people who really struggle right now. They're struggling just to get through the days. Maybe you've lost somebody you love this past year. This is your first Christmas without having them by your side. It's hard, I know. I've been there. I know how difficult it is. The joy to the world isn't quite as joyous this year. There are other people who, who are going through relationship problems. Maybe you've divorced or you've separated. And this year is just really hard. It's a different, uh, a different life than what you're used to living. And, and others are, are having a great time, and that emotional minefield is just all around you. And you're thinking, I'm not doing anything but just trying to survive this year. I just want to get through Christmas. You know, I've thought a lot about people in those situations the past couple of weeks. And when you begin to talk about individuals who are struggling like that, what do you think they need? Do they need more presence? The past couple of weeks, I, I, I've had people come to me and say, Tony, is there a book I can read? Do you know some kind of manual that will get me through these days? Listen, I want to tell you, you, you don't need more presence. You need a presence, a manual God with us. You don't need a manual, you need Emmanuel, the one who came to be with you, to hold your hand through the difficult times, 
to see your needs and to help your hurts, to soothe your fears. Emmanuel, God with us. You ever heard the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day? Pretty interesting song when you begin to think about the words of it and the situation that surrounds it. It was written by a poet, Henry Wadsworth Longsfellow. And he has a very interesting story. Uh, in 1860, he was really kind of at the pinnacle of his career. Lincoln had been elected president of the United States, and for many it was a sign of hope. <clears throat> Even he in his life thought, you know, this is, this is as wonderful as it's ever going to be. But in 1861, just days after the first shots of the Civil War were fired, Longfellow went through a big tragedy in his life. He lost his wife in a house fire. Um, the story goes that it was a fire that broke out in the kitchen downstairs. His wife was trapped upstairs. Uh, Longfellow tried his best to get to her three different times. He tried to get into the house to get to her to save her. Uh, unsuccessfully, she ended up dying. He was so badly burned that he couldn't even go to her funeral. In 1861, on Christmas Day, he wrote in his diary, and this is what he said, How inexpressibly sad are the holidays. The Civil War had broken out. His wife had died. And he thought there was no hope. He didn't write anything else in his diary the whole year of 1861 or 1862 until Christmas Day again. The death toll of the Civil War had begun to rise. People's families were hurting. They were losing their children. Their sons were going off into battle and not coming home. Longfellow took out his diary and he said this, Merry Christmas, say the children, but there's no Merry for me. In 1863, his son had returned home from the war, horribly injured, would need care the rest of his life. Longfellow sat down and he said, silence and tears are my only companion this time of year. So you can see in the story of Longfellow, there was a, a tremendous hurting there. When 1864 rolled around, he made a decision that he was going to bring himself up out of that despair that he had fallen into. And he began to write this song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. The first verse goes like this. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, the old familiar carols play. Wild and sweet, the words repeat, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. He wrote that stanza just days before the Battle of Gettysburg. When the news of Gettysburg broke and he found out that thousands of Americans had died in that horrific battle, he wrote the next stanza. And it says, in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong amongst the strong. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That stanza sat for several months. Finally, one Sunday, he went to church and his pastor talked about the fact that God was sovereign and he ruled over all. And that regardless of what they saw around them, God was still in charge. So he went home and he began to write the last stanza of the song. And I want you to listen to what it says. Then peel the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. You see, before he could get out of his time of despair, he had to capture message. And here's the message. You 
are not alone. Emmanuel, God with us. He is ever present. In 1981, and I'll stop right here. In 1981, there was a terrible earthquake that hit Armenia. Some of you may remember that. I vaguely remember it. But in the years since, there have been a lot of stories that have come out of that earthquake of heroism, people sacrificing, stories of survival, stories of overcoming hardships. One of the stories that really struck me was a man whose last name is Kalinsky. Can't say his first name. It's an Armenian name. I have no idea how you pronounce it. So we'll just talk about him as being Kalinsky. That morning that the earthquake struck, he had driven his little girl to school and he had let her out. Got a few miles down the road, the ground began to shake, and buildings everywhere just collapsed around him. His first thought, once the, once the shaking stopped, was to get back to his daughter. So he got in his car, and he drove just a few hundred feet and realized he couldn't get anywhere in it because of all the rubble in the road, power lines down. So he got out on foot. It took him quite a while, he said, to get back to her school. He had to navigate the down power lines, the buildings. On the way, he saw people suffering, people dying, people crying, people screaming. But all he could think about was to get to his little girl. When he got back to the school, the school was nothing more than a pile of rubble itself. But he wouldn't be deterred. He began to dig. He dug and he dug and he dug by himself, dug with his bare hands. The reason he had to dig by himself was because everyone around was either dead or wounded. And when the rescuers finally did arrive several hours later, they told him that they were only focusing on situations where they thought thought there was hope for life. But he wouldn't stop. He continued to dig. After 26 and a half hours, he would call out his daughter's name every few minutes. Uh, We'll say her name was Elizabeth. That's kind of the English translation of it. Every few minutes, he would say her name, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. And after 26 and a half hours, he finally heard a response. His little girl said, I'm here, Daddy. He began to dig even more fervently. People around began to come and help him out with his hands bleeding. After 29 hours, he finally saw a little opening, and he could look down in there, and he saw 14 children alive, his daughter being one of them. The building had collapsed and created a cavity where these kids were able to survive. When he finally pulled his daughter out, they said she grabbed onto him with every bit of strength that she had left and said, Daddy, I told him you'd come for me. Emmanuel, he is God with us. Your heavenly Father came for you. Today, He wants to do great things in your life. He is here. He's present in this place. Kirk, come on. He is present in this place. And he wants to make a difference for you. He wants you to feel that presence and that power. If you don't know Christ, today's the time to come and receive him. If you do know him, but you're struggling, this is I'm going to tell you guys, this is a special place right here. A very special place. It doesn't have any unique powers. But let me tell you what it does have. It has the ability to come down and to bow, or it gives us the ability to come down and bow, and for our family in Christ to come and bow with us and to pray us through on things.
are going on in life. This morning when we sing, if you feel God pulling you, whether it's to be saved or whether it's to come and just take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there, whatever the cause may be, you obey his spirit as he speaks. If you're in the balcony, you come down. If you're in the back, you come forward. If you're in the front, just come right on. The thing is, is God didn't bring us here today to leave us as we are. He brought us here today to change us. And he wants to change us instantaneously right here in an altar of prayer.